the, the porn industry. <laughs> we like to remind you to stay safe, wear your condoms. Ooh, important. Howdy, howdy, y'all. I'm Curtis Sunset. And I'm Leo Halston. And, and this is Weathery Rainbows. Rainbows. Well, howdy, howdy, Miss Halston. Let's go for a walk on the Rainbow Trail. Oh, no. The last time you forgot the umbrellas and got us into a whole heap of trouble. I won't forget this time. Let's go. to weather the rainbows howdy howdy y'all and welcome back to weathering rainbows podcast it has been a bit since we have recorded <laughs> uh, yes oh wow <laughs> i'm excited have, to be back it's so great that we're actually back and can do this uh we ran into so many technical difficulties this past like month mm-hmm. and i'm so glad that we're just back and everybody can see your beautiful face again Yes, uh, <laughs> and they can see your very handsome face and your new background. I love it. And my new background, yes. I, I felt like it was a a very beautiful background, so I wanted to go with the whole bro vibe to kick it off. I don't Yes. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. It's such a such a great theme. Yeah. Well, they picked we picked a good one to come back on. Uh our guest today uh wrote The Pornification of America. Uh, so obviously this is a special treat because it is rare that you hear me say anything uh, that is super, super sexual. Uh, <laughs> so this is a whole episode where I have to use words like dick and uh, other words that I just don't feel like saying right now. So <laughs> cooch, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nets, balls, all of it. I love oh. it. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, one t- of my favorites. I love to say porn. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm more like, it's the thing that people watch in private that, that we don't talk about. <laughs> so, Oh, honey, ooh. let me tell you, I do not open up my Twitter around any friends or coworkers <laughs> because the first thing you're going to see if I open up my Twitter is somebody getting but sorry <laughs> sorry y'all have to say it do you have a private twitter account just for that no it's on like, my it's on my leah my 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 work and business page i want to ask so <laughs> are they still doing that thing when you like like uh, follow somebody do everybody know you're following you know remember twitter used to do that when you follow oh, somebody yeah. it would say leah halston is following curtis sunset you know so I follow so many porn sites. I'm like, I know people are like, what are she, what is she into? It's like crazy. I'm pretty sure they can that you can still see like if your friends follow that person. So oh my god, and they definitely show up in your likes because I bet you don't even have your likes like 
like uh, privatized, do you? I probably don't. But I don't I'm like like, in, I don't like the porn. I just watch it because I like porn. <laughs> See, you got to watch because like on Twitter, especially like you can accidentally like something. And then not realize it. And then later on, people will be texting you like, did you really like that? (laughs) But you know what? Honestly, the way I feel is, I mean, we're all adults. We all do it. Um, Everybody watch porn. Like, I mean, there's no shame in my game. I like (laughs) I like to watch it. I'm obsessed with porn. Um, I don't I I don't watch straight porn. Um, It's just something. I mean, and I don't want to offend anybody out there, but I just. The moaning and the overacting is like, it yeah. turns me off, you know. Well, so and much even, of porn is fake. Like it's it's what it's it's actually a fake. Yeah, it's, it's a it's, it's an act. But but the thing that turns me on is like, um, with gay porn is I like to watch the setup. I do like to watch the skits because I like to figure out in the beginning who's going to get done, who's going to be the bottom, <laughs> and who's going to be the top. So once I figure that out, I'm over it. I'm like, uh-uh, next one, bam. Yeah. I also don't like scripted porn either. I, I'm more into amateur porn. I like, when I get on porn sites, I like to watch amateur stuff, like where they hide the camera and, you know, do all <laughs> that stuff. I just love it. And Twitter's much better for that than like your general porn sites. Like Twitter's more of the amateur area, I feel like still. Yeah. Well, it used to be Tumblr. And then yeah. I guess they, I mean, when I discovered Tumblr, I was like, oh, wow. Lots of porn. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. We're going to lose our funding on this one. <laughs> there went our funding. It's gone. Oh, Bye. my God. God. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. It's it's Twitter. Like, um, it it's kind of a shock now because I feel like uh, for people that have kids, you almost have to like, you know, these teens. People have phones. I'm, you know, teens gonna do. These kids are gonna do what they want to do. But right. it's almost like if you're a parent and you have a teen, it do you have to like let me see your phone? Let me go through your search app you know like what do you do you know because it's out there yeah and that's and that's you, a lot of a lot of what she writes about in the book is just okay the ranch culture it's yeah. it's all about uh, how things have progressed since i mean you and i were kids like yeah totally different it's so accessible you could pick up i could pick it up and get it on this phone in two seconds you know so, i know <laughs> that's what i'm saying like it's crazy um but i do have to ask since we're on this subject like what kind of porn do you like? Uh, girl, that is a pay question. You got to pay me to answer those kind of questions. The fans want to know what I kind like of gay porn. Gay porn. Okay. But okay, but can we get some can we get some descriptive details? I mean, I feel really bad now cuz uh like the whole interview is all about how like <laughs> Like, you know, what's become really popular in, like, late culture is mm-hmm. aggressive porn. Like, aggressive mm. or, like, uh, like and also, like, incest porn. Like, daddy, son, that sort of mm. thing. And, like, everything is labeled that way, even though mm. they're never, like, it's never actually... Well, I hope it's not ever actually <laughs> incest. Yeah. But, but, like, everything is labeled that way. And so, like, I'd say for me, it's mostly, like... I mean, the kind of guys I like. So, like, Dad and Twink, you know, like that sort of stuff. 
Mm. How about you? What do you watch if you don't watch straight porn? Or... Well, okay, so y'all, you will learn a lot about Miss Halston and her porn. I just love saying porn and moaning. But uh, <laughs> I, I like, uh, like again, like I said, I like amateur, but I'm also into like public. I'm obsessed with watching like public uh sex like outdoors beaches uh bathrooms uh i mean it's Glory just something holes. well that too yeah i just like the <laughs> exhibitionist uh the sneakiness of doing it and getting caught some of the things that i be seeing i'm like i can't believe they got away with that and where can i find you doing it to like seriously i'm more of a watcher though i like to watch so if you I always like this. So like a lot of people like to watch porn that they mm-hmm. don't actually like to like do. So for instance, like you watch all these things like where you could possibly be caught. Yes. Do you actually do that? Like is that um, more of a I, I have had some adventurous moments where I was very spontaneous and curious. So I have done some things uh that I what's, do watch. What's the most What's the most adventurous one that you have done? Well, the... <laughs> besides the besides the graveyard. Okay, I was going to say, we was going to go back to the graveyard. <laughs> we, can't, we can't go back to that one. Um, Martha's or whatever her name was already haunted us. Okay, so. <laughs> so the most recent is there's a guy that is obsessed with um, me being outside. And okay. fondling myself, but he likes to drive around and watch. So all he does is drive around <laughs> while I'm sitting in this area. I'm not going to tell y'all where, <laughs> but I'm sitting in a particular area outside and he just likes to drive around. And I don't know if he's masturbating. I don't know, but he it's like. 10 times just circling around this area and then bam, he's gone. We, I mean, I don't. Okay. That's interesting. All right. I mean, it's different. I, I don't get anything out of, I mean, I think it's amusing that I'm in this place that I'm doing this and, and no, I'm not naked. I'm clothed. I have like a sundress on or, you know, mm-hmm. some shorts or something. And he just like, me to flash him every time he drives around some people are really into that so i get it i know that's you know and i get i mean i don't like i say i don't know what he does we he'll just randomly text and be like um hey are you in the mood for this and i'm like well you know yeah i'm kind of horny you know (laughs) i mean it does nothing for me but if if it does if it does something for him i like the point i just like being outside like knowing I'm doing something, what I call kinky, you know? Well, like a lot of uh, something that she talks about in the book is like what heterosexual girls would find offensive, like uh, unsolicited dick pics and stuff like that. Uh, Like gay people, a lot of us, like we are totally fine with dick pics, you know, like stuff like that. So like, I want to know from our standpoint as, as gay individuals, because, like, we have a lot of, like, dominant and and submissive type of, of role plays a lot in our, yes, our community. Yes, yes. So, like, but the submissive, I feel like, gets a lot out of it, too. Like, that's what they're really into 
if they go down that route. Mm-hmm. Just as like the dominant gets it from going down that route. Like, do you mm-hmm. have that same experience, or do you think that the dominant is just taking advantage of this like other individual? It's it's that's a complicated you know scenario. It's um, and I would say the majority because there's obviously always going to be like some situations that go too far. You know, like <laughs> so. I, it's it's crazy because like being. Um, the, living the life that I live, you know, majority of the guys that hit me up or, you know, bisexual or considered straight or so. But it's like, um, I feel like I'm more aggressive, you know, with the guys, you know. They was like, be like, send me a pic. Like, and I'm like, okay, bam, you know, there, there you go. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I just, I feel like for me, it, for me, it always seems like, Regardless of which like side you're on, a- as gay individuals, like I feel like you're both getting that fantasy that you want. Yeah, whether exactly whether you're I, playing the sub or playing the dom, like, like you're, yeah. you're you're both getting what you want. So yeah, and we and we love a, we love a good XX picture. I just I, lo- you I know, love a good what what picture a, a good X rated picture. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, or I a tease. Love- I like a tease picture more than I even like the full picture. A lot of times, like somebody yeah. that's like teasing. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm a, just. I'm gonna that. tell you. Okay, <laughs> so I, I get. So when I first meet a guy, I really don't want to see it like right away. I want to just like have a picture in my head and be like, okay, mm. I think this is what it is. So when they like, if they just aggressively like just be like. I'm horny and I'm like, okay, so how was your day? You know, trying to, you know, do other conversation. And it's like, bam, dick pic. And I'm like, oh, you just ruined it for me. Like, I just yeah. want to Too go a soon. couple of days. Yeah. Like, like you got to, you got to, we're so bad. We got to lead people on. You got to tease them a bit. <laughs> and then you show them the goods. Like, you can't just, yes. just throw it out there. Yes. And don't, and I will say, like, most of us don't like the unsolicited pics. Like, at least, like, warn us first. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I don't know. Yeah. But, so, yeah, but, I mean, I, I'm i not as much into, like, the, I guess, public porn or, or whatever you would call that, like, where you're going to get caught. But I have had my adventures uh, doing okay. that kind of stuff. Okay. And I think, like, probably my wildest or, like, the one where I know people were watching, like, was, like, on a balcony in St. Louis during, like, mm. my fraternity's formal. <laughs> so uh-huh. like like they were like there were a lot of people out on those balconies and they got a show so <laughs> oh, wow college days I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think i've ever had like i'm i think i'm okay with the public and doing stuff in public but i think i get shy if i know people watch it i'm more of a secret public like if i find you yeah. in the park let's go away from this group and go into right. another bush. You know, I can't <laughs> I, I can't perform in the front of an audience. And like, you know, even when guys be like, Can I film you giving me oral? And I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, because I'm like, I'm private, you know? Yeah. What we do together, we do, but I don't want to be filmed doing it. And I'm yeah. like, I just get camera shy, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I'm definitely a freak. I'm not gonna lie, but I just get camera shot. I don't want to be filmed. I don't. I don't want this whole setup. You know, 
guys be like, "Let we we would make a good team doing OnlyFans." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. I don't need an audience. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry." Leah's OnlyFans. Here we go. Now, when <laughs> when I lived in when I lived in Dallas, when I first experienced uh, gay sex, when I lived in Dallas, uh, there's a park in Dallas that uh, guys would go to and just enjoy sex. And I discovered yeah. that park in my like twenties and I was obsessed with the park. Like I was there every night. Like you've seen everything from group to one-on-one it. And you know, this park, I mean, you've seen all kinds of condoms on the ground, uh, lube packages. It was, I mean, it was the park to at, at, at seven o'clock, when midden, when the sun started going down, you seen the cars lining up in that park. So, see, um, I think that is what's missing. Since, like, because I didn't grow up in an era that really didn't have grinder. Because mm-hmm. like grinder came about around whenever I was in college, and so I mean, and then I came out was in college. So like, I think that's when a lot of that ended. Like your the parks yeah. and stuff that that gay men would go to, and yeah. Uh, so I like I can't recall that that was ever a thing yeah now i, I mean, think it's we still, still have around. our dark rooms and yeah. stuff like that but well there's there's still like bookstores and bathhouse but i think parks are still mm-hmm. there um, um i can name a few here in kentucky but uh <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't want to put nobody on blast but uh i think here's my thing is uh when i when those were my when i was doing that at my time I would find, like, I would find the most attractive, and it was lots of businessmen, and, yeah. you know, I'm like, you're, a, like, it was relationship material type of men that were just out there just wanting random sex from random anonymous dudes, and I'm like, here I am in the park trying to fall in love, and all they want to do is, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, how you doing, see you later. And well, because I'm like, most of those men probably already had wives and children wife, at home. You're right. <laughs> you're right. And so <laughs> I find myself still now, you know, creeping um, and still seeing the same thing, like some very attractive guys that could be husband material, a boyfriend material. And it's like, why are you? And then I'm, I'm like, okay, first of all, why am I, I, why am I out here? Okay, and I'm like, why are you like it's crazy? <laughs> but you're right. You're right. It's it's the guys that are just sneaking around and just love anonymous uh, um yeah. public just a... sex. Yeah. And I mean there's nothing wrong with that. It, everybody has their own like things that get them I guess the kink and stuff that they love. So Yeah. Uh what what do you think about uh or have you ever used uh like one of the like chat roulettes or like one of the random websites where it's like you get into a random chat room with somebody? Um, well, I mean, I don't know if you remember gay.com. Do you remember that website? Gay.com. I don't guess so. It was a website where you logged in and they had rooms. You can, I mean, it was uh, black men and like white men, white men and like black men. They had phone sex, chat. You know, you would get in, eat. there was a room mm-hmm. and you would meet people in these rooms. I mean, in a racial room, um, webcam room. If you want the webcam with somebody, it was just all types of rooms up in there. So, uh, huh. I mean, I had my fair share of uh, 
I mean, I used to be on Chatterbait. I don't know if you I've, have you heard of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know Chatterbait. There was Chat Roulette, Chatterbait. There's a lot yeah. of them. That was well, Chatterbait. Uh, I mean, I've I've done a few uh, episodes on Chatterbait. So. In your lingerie. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Show. I, but you know what? I never. Um, I'm gonna tell you this. I I never. Um, was completely nude or show my body, I would get on there and just like show my face because I was like, I'm pretty. And I just like having the guys write me and say, oh my God, you're beautiful. And and they'd be like, show more, show more. So I would just get on like we're doing now. I would mm-hmm. I would like eat. I would like just do stuff, but not be naked. <laughs> and I would just be like, oh, just tell me I'm beautiful. Just tell me I'm pretty. And you know, and then I would click on guys' webcams, and I just see big penises, men jacking off, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like, they'd be like, show me more, and I'm like, mm, just looking into the camera, like, mm, <laughs> you know, just doing all kinds of stuff. Eating a peach or a banana or, you know, Sucking a pickle, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, that, oh, I just Lord. lived for, uh, I think another one I was on, it's called Adult Friend Finders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that for one. like swingers and it, but stuff. <laughs> but uh, no. uh, I think there's a there's still a uh, profile with some very X-ray. I need to see if I can because it's been like 15 years since I've been on. I need to get on there and shut my profile down because if somebody really wants to find me, oh my god, there are some very uh, they can. If I get on Drag Race, I will be blackmailed. <laughs> if I get on any TV yeah. show, my pictures will pop up. I feel like that's pretty normal, though. Like, everybody's got some leaks out there somewhere these days. So I always say, you know, if if someone finds them and they post them of me, I'm just like, at least they were good angles because I know I took them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't even, I'm shocked that you would even have any out. I really, I think you're such a good boy. I'm like, Curtis, wouldn't have any those there are uh, those people. pictures out. <laughs> oh, I am I am sure that there are people out there with with pictures and videos. I oh, oh well, no. <laughs> it'll come out eventually. I'm sure. Oh. Uh, but I, honestly, I've never used like a chat roulette or chatterbait or any of those kind of things. Like I was always way too intimidated to get on those. Like no. I guess it was like the whole like growing up don't talk to strangers like i wasn't even allowed to like be in chat rooms at all like even yeah. though not those kind so i think that like it, maybe it, it also too like a generational thing because yeah. i don't know of any people in their 30s that really use that because snapchat also came along and then yeah. like you could easily talk to people and do the video thing on snapchat yeah. now i've done well, that with a few but well, and that's why i don't get like now a grinder why are we still asking uh like demanding pictures from people when you could just get on your iPhone and FaceTime somebody like, yeah, you know, why are we still doing this? You know, yeah, I actually, I stopped sending any sort of pictures like about two years ago for that yeah. reason, because there were so many fake accounts on there Yeah, and it's just and people, people just looking. See, yeah. People that know you with mm-hmm. the fake accounts that just want to see, Oh, let me see if I can like get him yep. out. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Or so you get to I, somebody I just, or you get to, to somebody's house and they don't they don't look like they supposed to look and you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a hard situation. I I was very nice 
uh, when I was on Grindr. If, if somebody didn't look the way they look, I would still be like, force myself to be like, guess I'll go through with it. <laughs> I have been there, been there, done that. I think we've all had to experience that. And you're just like, oh, this is hurry really up. awkward. Like, just hurry but... up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. But <laughs> it's crazy. What about, um, okay, the other big, I guess, porn thing that we should talk about is OnlyFans, because that's, oh. like, probably the most popular, like, pay sites and stuff. Like, yeah. do you participate? Like, do you go and buy people's OnlyFans I and have, stuff like that? I have, I have bought one OnlyFans, and he was, it was hot. It's one of my Twitter. Worth it. Actually, two. <laughs> two guys that are very worth it. Um, and I, and honestly, it was kind of boring. Like both guys were boring. They, the, the Twitter accounts that they put on and the teasers, the thirst traps on Twitter were, were more, way more interesting than the only fans. I'm like, I pay for this. Really? You know? Yeah. I don't it. get it either. Cause uh, so many of them, like they devote so much time to the marketing to get people there to buy. Yeah. And then, like, it's not like Planet Fitness where you're just going to forget about your account because it's so easy to go online and, and cancel, you know? So, yeah. like, like, at least keep, you know, you got to keep content coming and stuff like that for people to keep paying and subscribing. Yeah. But I just think it's, it's unique today to be able to see literally anyone start their own porn site. Yeah. Like, with OnlyFans. Well, and I'm like this. Once I see you come once, I'm good. Because, like, <laughs> that's the reason why we get OnlyFans. Because it's like, you, you they, tease, see. <laughs> they tease you on Twitter. They give you a little clip up to, until that point. And then it's like, oh, I want to see more. Mm-hmm. And then you get the OnlyFans. I'm like, okay, yes. Ooh, ooh, that was nice. And then next clip, oh, yeah, I already seen it. You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a, Yeah. Yep. I, but there's yep, that one guy. Like- there's that one hot guy that's like from he's like he's like the number one Diego or something. Have you heard of him? I think I know who you're talking about. He's like the number one high ranking uh, OnlyFans and he's really high. He's a he's a dancer and he does have a humongous ding dong. <laughs> it's it's big. I follow him on Instagram, and uh, it's crazy. Yeah, we may have to we may have to do a, a, a weather and rainbow on, on, with him. We may yeah, need an interpreter we, though, because he's his English is not ooh, that good. Yeah, that would be a good weathering rainbows. Like, let's just get like five or six OnlyFans people to like come on yeah. the show and. Like do a joint little session and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Leah's gonna be eating her peaches and <laughs> watching these uh-huh. boys. Yes. <laughs> the double moans. Be like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we are getting to the point where we've got to shut our opener down. Um, but real quick, I know that we've got some events coming up, uh, very, very soon. So let's, uh, shout out some of those events. I know, uh, Kentucky Anna Pride pageant is coming up. Do you want to talk about May that? 20, yeah. May 22nd. Um, I think this is like my, I don't know, like I want to say eighth, 10th, ninth year hosting the pageant. Um, it's, um, uh, very prestigious pageant here. Um, it's May 22nd um, at 9 o'clock at play. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing... Uh, they used to be on a Friday. So we would rush the pageant and then go into the show. So I fought very hard 
to for this pageant to be on a Sunday so we can just take our time because I love hosting yeah. pageants. It's one of my favorites. So I'm excited about that. We should see a lot of new faces from what I heard. There's a lot of new girls on scene. Uh, Kentucky birth new drag queens every other day. So, oh yeah, um, yeah, that'll it be exciting. Be be, yeah, and um, let's see what other events coming up. Uh, um, obviously, your event. Do you want to talk yes, about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, the second volume of Melanin Magic. Uh, May 29th. I'm super stoked about that. It's my second one. A whole new cast. Uh, very talented cast. My drag mother is coming from Vegas. LaWanda Jackson. And my drag father, Monty St. James from Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Who, he's a former <laughs> Mr. Play. He's the first Mr. Play we ever had. So wow. uh, it's a family affair. I'm okay. So they they get both get here on the 28th so i have to deal with both of my parents my drag parents <laughs> for a couple of days and they've already been getting on my nerves i'm telling you <laughs> i'm telling you it's it's like crazy mind you i'm they're not staying with me i'm putting them up in the hotel so uh <laughs> i can't i can't no have them I here get that. but uh I'm excited to have them here along with some other local talent i got i got quasi from cincinnati um, Tia uh, Mirage Hall from Indianapolis. I got a bunch of local girls here. Evelyn Salt, uh, Rising Star. My daughter who's still uh, Valentine. Um, I got Octavius Richard and Jari Richard coming from Dayton, Ohio. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, oh, yeah. show started at 8 o'clock. Melanie Magic, Volume 2. Woo! And I'm pumped and I can verify that the show is fire because I was there last year. Um, mm -hmm. And I have never seen the people line up I mean, the, the tips were crazy that last mm -hmm. year because people were just lined up. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, such a good show. Definitely make it out on May 28th for that show. 29. Um, 29. Wait. <laughs> 29. They, All right. I'll yeah, 29. That. I said May 28th. <laughs> they get here. They, but the show is May 29th. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Definitely come well, out on May 29th. Yeah, <laughs> to see Memorial that Day weekend, y'all. Memorial Day weekend. So yeah, you don't even got to go to work the next day. So it's a perfect night yes, to go out. Yes. And then um, LaWanda stand over because right after that, we go to Columbus uh, for uh, Virginia West's uh, Legends show, which oh, is man. the kickoff of Pride Month and Pride Week in Columbus, Ohio at District West. So that's another event that we've done together. <laughs> y'all yep. remember uh, the first? Y'all remember the first time we went to Columbus? I think uh, Curtis Jockstrap mysteriously uh, was in my in my in my hotel room. We don't. We still a mystery how he got there. Hey, I saw that that guy uh, <laughs> over uh, Derby weekend. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the the guy. Well, the one that got the yellow jock strap off of me. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, he, he was. Was he at Derby? Uh, he was not at Derby. He uh, actually attended a, one of those parties and was a bartender for one of the parties because oh, okay. he's like a model and shit these days. So he's doing uh, his thing. Yeah. But, all right. Well, uh, we will talk more about a lot of those kind of things in the next episode, um, along with a big announcement uh, that will be coming in the next episode for our one year anniversary. Uh, June 12th. That was the first time we released a podcast for Weathering Rainbows, and it is so close to our first year anniversary. Uh, with that, we are going to kick it over to the interview. 
with Bernadette Barton, who wrote The Pornification of America, along with a lot of other really cool books that, that I think you all are going to want to read. Um, for those of you all that are out there also, we will eventually interview her again on Pray the Gay Away, um, which Ooh, is wow. The Extraordinary Lives of Bible Belt Gays. Um, so she's fire. Uh, I'm going to have Leah kick this one over because I think a scholar on the sex industry deserves like a proper like like just announcement or like coming to the stage moment. Like I need you to say Bernadette in like the sexy voice. So kick it over to the interview. (laughs) Well, we like to thank you guys for listening to this podcast that was specially dedicated to the porn industry. <laughs> we like to remind you to stay safe, wear your condoms. Ooh, important. And always get good lube. Right now, we're going to turn this right on over to our very special guest, Bernadette. Howdy, howdy, y'all, and welcome back to the interview portion of Weathering Rainbows, where we get to interview some really cool people doing some really amazing things for the LGBTQ plus community out there. Today, we have a person that I am thrilled to have on our show. Um, They have written four books, um, and I'll I'll let her introduce each of those books a little bit, but uh, this is a a scholar of uh, sex and gender uh, that has written books on exotic dancers, has written books on uh, religion in the Bible Belt and how that has impacted uh, sexuality. Um, And the one that we will be talking the most about today, uh, The Pornification of America, um, which is all about how ranch culture has uh, inundated our society. And so I'm looking forward to that. But I'm going to let Bernadette introduce herself a little bit uh, to you all. Well, hi, everybody, and thanks, Curtis. It's just a pleasure to be on this show. This is um, really an inspiring kind of podcast to be part of. Um, I'm a professor of sociology and gender studies uh, at Moorhead State University. So I, you know, I teach kids from Eastern Kentucky mostly um, about lots of very interesting topics. So my classes are all about sex and gender and religion and the sex industry and culture and Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I've been, um, I'm also the board secretary of Just Fun Kentucky, which is um, an endowment in the state that supports projects, LGBTQ projects all over the Commonwealth, uh, seeking to create a brighter future for those of us who are sexual and gender minorities in the state. So um, I'm really passionate about making the world better (laughs) for all of us. (laughs) So that's what, and I'm, and speaking about the experiences of marginalized members of society. Yeah. Uh, First, just want to say thank you to Just Fun Kentucky. Um, Obviously we did get some grant funding this year, um, which we've got some awesome shows coming up for you all. They've enabled us to do those uh, 10 specific shows uh, on some pretty cool topics. I do want to allow you the chance to tell people about Just Fun Kentucky Um, and that way people know about the applications that they can do for grants in the future uh, within Kentucky. Great. Well, Just Fun Kentucky is a $2 million endowment. Um, It was... it began in 2006 with a matching donation from uh, 
uh, our recently departed benefactor, Cliff Todd, um, a half million dollar matching grant. We match that grant. And with that money, we use the interests to fund projects all across the state. So that is everything from like the podcast series here to radio shows, to plays, to art exhibits, to research projects. Um, so we just fund, you know, a lot of different kinds. This this year alone, we funded 21 different projects. Wow. Um, and so we That's just incredible. touch, you know, we touch every county in the state. And we have a special focus on um, doing anti-racist work and reaching out to rural communities and highlighting and, you know, supporting projects that focus on transgender and non-binary folks. Yeah. So definitely, uh, if you are out there listening to this podcast, make sure you apply for those grants this coming up next year. Uh, they were yeah, just the grant, received. They're, just yeah, March 15th soon. is the due date. Yeah, yeah, they were just announced. So All right. So what I want to do now is get into your story, um, which <laughs> is uh, I want to hear about your uh, upbringing um, and kind of what led you up to the point you're at now. Okay, well, my personal story, let's see, I'm, I'm not originally from Kentucky, I'm from Massachusetts, um, but I've lived in Kentucky since 1992, so uh, I lived here much longer than I lived in the Northeast, but I grew up in the Northeast in a politically progressive Catholic family. Um, and then I just was a pretty adventurous person and I just really wanted to explore. And after I graduated from, with my bachelor's degree from Oberlin college, I was one of those kids that just didn't quite know what to do with myself. So I stumbled around a little bit. I waitressed, I actually worked on the woodsy howl, owl give a hoot campaign. And, and then I, I got a job teaching English as a second language in Japan and, I floated around. I went to I went to San Francisco for a year and a half. That was quite an experience. I wasn't out then, though, so that was in some ways disappointing. <laughs> uh, and then finally landed in Kentucky with a partner um, and decided I, my whole reasoning for coming to Kentucky was, oh, that will be weird. Never <laughs> thinking I'd end up staying here for uh, the next 30 years. So I went to grad school and it came out and um, it's been a journey. Yeah. So when did you meet your partner? My current partner I met in 1998. We've been together now for 24 years. Wow. Uh, I came out a couple of years before I met her and was with another person before that and um, that relation ended, relationship ended. And then I got together with Anna, who's my, who I married. Uh, we were actually one of the first couples. I wouldn't say the very first, but I mean like that first cohort of people who got married, um, in Vermont when there was civil union ceremonies, we went up in 2002 and had a civil union ceremony in Brattleboro, Vermont, and then came back to Kentucky and had a, um, a, a celebration. And then we went back in 2014, uh, and had our, um, civil union changed to a marriage. So we got legally married and dissolved the civil union. Um, and then of course in 2015, there was same sex marriage equality, oh. the law of the land, which I hope we get to keep. Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we've been together a long time. <laughs> yeah. So what has your experience been like? You've, you've lived here for 30 years now. You're not originally from here. Uh, what has your experience been like in terms of LGBTQ culture from where you've been to moving to Kentucky? Has there been a, a big contrast? Well, it's interesting because I came from San Francisco to Lexington, Kentucky. So I was 
immersed in gay culture when I lived in San Francisco, even though at that time I was in a heterosexual relationship. But it just, I lived, you know, in the Mission District and my landlords were gay. And I, I had like a temp job working for a doctor who was doing AIDS research at San Francisco General Hospital. It was just every, the culture. I was in the, the Women's Studies program, uh, the Master's in Women's Studies program at San Francisco State University. So I, it was like gay culture. And then I came to Lexington and it was like, weirdly, I was also still immersed in gay culture. Um, my advisor, my dissertation, my uh, thesis advisor was a lesbian and I was working my the person I was doing my research assistantship with a, was a lesbian and my landladies were lesbians. And I was in a cohort of grad students who were all lesbians. Like there was like nine people, nine women. So it was kind of like seamlessly gay. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Oh, which we, I... <laughs> we flock to each other. So like we all end up in that, in that, uh, those close knit groups like that. And it seems like that we create our own little worlds in that way, even in Kentucky. Um, but did you experience any, obviously you wrote a book called pray the gay away, um, where you interviewed people all across the state and, and in the Bible belt. Um, what are some of the stories that you can tell us in terms of, you know, the, the difference here versus non-rural areas? Um, well, that was the biggest change for me was going from Lexington to what I call in the book Thomasville, which is a town closer to Moorhead State. So in Lexington, I just really experienced a very opening and accepting and supportive um, community, not just the gay community, but the, the the ally community was really strong in Lexington. And because I was from Massachusetts and because I grew up in a politically progressive family and the Catholicism that I experienced was um, – really more of a liberation theology. It was, it was not focused on sin and hell. So my experience of Catholicism even was really friendly. <laughs> so I was so shocked to perceive religious fundamentalist oppression. Like I, I honestly thought nobody is really homophobic, really. Like nobody is really like that. Like that is just so ridiculous that you could actually, you know, behave, be, be negative, be critical, be, be unloving to someone because of who they love. Like who really does that? Like that just doesn't exist, right? Like that, like I just didn't believe that it existed. I know that sounds just so naive when I say that you out know, loud. It doesn't though, because <laughs> I, I reached a point in the past few years where I'm like, you know, things just don't happen as much in terms of like homophobic slurs or homophobic, you know, propaganda in Kentucky. And like things seem to have been in the Trevor Project's words, it gets better. Uh, but then just this past week, we see uh, school assignments like Christian Academy of, of Louisville uh, that ask their students to write letters to their gay friends about why that they need to turn back to God. Um, so how much of that did you experience whenever you were writing this book? Oh, my goodness. A ton of it. I mean, not to me personally. I, I experienced a little bit personally. But in terms of the stories I collected, I interviewed 59 uh, lesbians and gay men, and they had just the most heart-wrenching stories. And then while I was gathering the data, I was going around uh, the region, not just Kentucky, but states nearby like Tennessee and Virginia and uh, South Carolina and giving talks on being gay in the Bible Belt. And uh, I mean, I, I can't talk about it without somebody telling me a gory story. Right. And I mean, not just one, like I'm a repository of hundreds of gory stories 
about being gay in the Bible Belt. So you just name a pro- something and I could talk about it. It's <laughs> like, it's so awful and so heartbreaking and just so wrong. I, 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 it's infuriating. It, it's, it's, um, there's a lot to say. (laughs) So do you think in in the 30 years that you've lived here that we have progressed uh, or do you think we still deal with a lot of the same things that you, you wrote about? I will say I'm uniquely positioned to answer that question because not only did I write that book and I continue to gather stories, I teach a, a course called religion and sexuality and we really do focus on LGBT issues in the Bible Belt. And I have my students do an assignment where they interview a sexual or gender minority and I give them a set of interview questions and then they write about it. And the last question is, do you think things are better now based on your interview with this person you just spoke with? And across the board, what we found was it's a little bit better in the sense that there's a little more awareness about LGBT issues, a little more acceptance, but the same stories and themes and problems and conversations with family members are still happening. They're still happening. It's like on a scale of one to 10, if it was a 10 before, now it's like an eight, maybe. Even in Kentucky, when it comes to the gay community, um, a lot of times we there is discrimination even within our own community. So you've got a certain type of gay person that discriminates against trans individuals or still doesn't believe trans is a, is a valid issue. Uh, and I think a lot of that does stem from the religion uh, that, that comes from the Bible Belt. It's even though they can accept themselves, they then can't accept like transgender individuals. Um, did you find any of that kind of stuff as you were writing this book? I didn't focus on the trans experience as much as I wish I had. It, in retrospect, that I think is a weakness of the book. Um, but the time was not a time where trans um, there was as much trans awareness. I will say that. So the question is, how does religiosity and conservative religiosity affect a person's experience or expression of bigotry? And I would say that, yes, the more you are socialized into a fundamentalist religiosity, the more you're likely to hold a whole intersectional range of prejudice ideas about um, people who are gay, people who are a different race, people who are um, the women, uh, certainly trans people. So, so yes, if you're a gay person, person and have managed to accept yourself, hopefully the journey would be then, you know, I'm going to, you know, be more conscious of what other groups, other minority groups suffer and be more attentive. And I would say most of the time that happens at least to some degree. Um, But we all have our blind spots and we're all like working on figuring. And the trans stuff is kind of different too, because I think for a lot of people who experience their, their gender expression in a really fixed innate kind of natural way it's just very confusing them to them to to understand the um the experiences of non-binary and transgender people and that requires education and then that requires being open and that requires not knowing everything and and being willing to say yeah you know what i don't know everything and i'm going to go listen and find out and and i don't need to be right all the time i can just go learn (laughs) and not everyone is equally good at that yeah. When it comes to your experience, what effect did religion have on, on your own story? Oh, okay. Well, I grew up with a really interesting religious background. So I was raised Catholic on my mom's side and, and pretty, pretty Catholic. Like I was baptized Catholic and I went to Catholic mass my whole life. Uh, I was had every one of my um, 
sacraments. I was confirmed, et cetera. I was in the Legion of Mary in a Catholic high school when I was, I was in a Catholic high school for my, my last year and a half. So I was Catholic on that side. But then my dad, he, um, he and my mom split and he was interested in exploring um, a Hinduesque path. So an Eastern spiritual path that was really, really different from Catholicism. He believed in, he believed in reincarnation and that you shouldn't eat any meat, fish or eggs. And, um, he meditated for literally two and a half hours a day. So it was just a whole different kind of paradigm. There's like the Eastern paradigm and the Western paradigm. And then there's the pagan paradigm too. Um, anyway, so I had those two, uh, really intense spiritual, upbringings. And then meanwhile, I found paganism <laughs> and decided that, in fact, I actually am a pagan. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm one of those people that really enjoys thinking about religion and spirituality and talking about it. And I'm not attached to one particular faith perspective. I teach my students that you know, the religion we wear is like the clothes we put on, you know, maybe, you know, wearing an evening dress is how we want to connect with the divine today. And maybe it's wearing jeans. So I, I come from that perspective. So I appreciate, oh, I also did have a brief phase of feeling like I might be an atheist and that was hard. So I was going through all these, that was when I was struggling with, um, the homophobia and perceiving the homophobia. Um, all this is to say that, I do have a strong religious spiritual background and understanding and interest. And I think that helps me connect better both with LGBT people who are both people of faith and struggling with their faith and with conservative Christians who are struggling with their understanding of scripture. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, you have the perfect background to do what you're doing. So it's great. We're going to get into your newest book. Uh, but before we do, I want to uh, do the segment called Do's and Don'ts. Uh, we do a segment in which you can give three do's and three don'ts on any topic of your choice. Um, and so we're going to kick that over to you to kind of give that to our listeners. Okay, great. Well, um, I was thinking a lot about this. Like, what if I want to give do's and don'ts on? And um, I wanted to like talk about something positive because I speak a lot about um, things that are super depressing being a gender studies professor, as you can probably imagine. So a few years ago, I started teaching a class on happiness and reading up on happiness. So I teach a course called the sociology of happiness. So I'm going to offer these do's and don'ts for being happier <laughs> um, as an LGBT person. Uh, and number one is uh, do come out when you can, you know, and I know you've covered this in your show before, Curtis, obviously don't come out if it's not safe. Don't come out if your parents are going to cut you off and they're not going to pay for school anymore. Like come out when you can financially, materially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, but whatever you can do that, do that because you're going to be happier when you're out. You want to be a person in alignment with yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're not out, you're not in alignment. And if you're not in alignment, you're not your most powerful self. So you want to be in alignment. And part of being in alignment is being out. Because, and then if you're out, you can have real relationships and real intimacy with people, which creates a much more enjoyable life. I also recommend that you cultivate a positive mind. So pay attention to the quality of your thoughts. And if your thoughts are leaning towards negative distressing, upsetting, ruminating, pessimistic, judging, all that stuff, that's not going to make you happy. So you want to focus on the positive and create an environment in your mind that's positive. Try not to focus on the problem, focus on the solution. 
And then my third do is uh, to encourage you to find and follow your inner guidance. I think we each inside of us have a sense, an internal sense of what is the right or wrong or best thing to do in any given moment and to pay attention to that inner voice, not to the, you know, chaos and noisiness of of everybody else's opinions. The only person, the person that matters the most in your life is you. You are charged with taking care of this little person here. That's your biggest duty and your yeah. and your that's your job that's your project is to best care for you curtis and you amy gets yeah. you're in charge you're in charge <laughs> so that, those are some of my hard to do you know that is very hard to do but uh, you do got to give yourself some priority there so so mm-hmm. so I, there's got to be a lot of don'ts to happiness too what's your what's your don'ts <laughs> here oh <laughs> uh, um okay so don't uh don't look for what's wrong don't focus on what's wrong. Don't ruminate. <laughs> don't 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 replay uh, past things that make you feel bad or guilty, or that or that put you in a state of feeling aggrieved. If someone does you wrong, let it go. Whatever. Move on to the. You're only poisoning yourself more by focusing on it. Um. Don't be afraid to look mis- to look foolish and to make mistakes and to be bold. Don't be afraid. I just yeah. don't be afraid to to dream big and act boldly. <laughs> and then finally, I, I'm I'm a lot older than you all. I'm 54, turning 55 in a little while, and I I'm not <laughs> I'm not on social media much. I'm just going to admit it. I'm, I'm on Facebook, but I even stay off of that because it makes me, every time I get on Facebook, I, I feel anxious and upset. And that's the only one I'm on. And I'm like, <laughs> so there's something about comparisons that that's a happiness killer. Um, and I, I talk to my students who are on social media like seven and eight hours a day. And that just seems like, I don't know. Um, but my don't is don't focus on your appearance and don't focus on status. Appearance and status will not make you happy. There's that's a, just a dead end game. They they are happiness killers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that's uh, all great advice for our listeners. Uh, we could talk all day on happiness because that's ninety percent of the books that I read are on that subject. So <laughs> I can do. I can. <laughs> I'm right there with you on all of those things. Um, and I also knew that you did not have an Instagram because I went on there today and I was like, I need to follow her so we can tag her in things. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> oh, I know. uh-oh, how are we going to do this? So, <laughs> But you're right, honestly. And I think you even talk about that a little bit in this book in terms of the facts that those that like disappeared from social media for a little while, like they do get that happiness boost because they're not in that constant comparison mode. Um, so I think that's a, a perfect turn into, uh, this book, uh, which is the pornification of America. Um, and it's how raunch culture is ruining our society. Uh, now you've obviously <laughs> written books, uh, on exotic dancers and, and religion and homosexuality. What brought you to this s- subject? <laughs> this is really a women and gender studies book. So, I've been teaching a class on the sociology of sex and gender since 1995. So I've been dealing with these issues in the classroom for how many years is that? Almost 30 years. Um, So one of the big changes that I noticed was this 
increasing sexualization of culture, what I call the pornification of culture, um, that I talk about really the tipping point happening right in the mid nineties where, where it wasn't enough just to be beautiful, like a perfume model, which in itself actually is a relatively new phenomenon based on, you know, magazine media, you know, there's this, so, so then there was this switch over around the mid nineties where not only were women, women being encouraged by the culture, the Western culture to be beautiful, but also to be hot and sexy, like a porn star. Um, and I, I really noticed it after my book stripped came out about exotic dancers. Cause I had just immersed myself in the experiences of exotic dancers and been in strip clubs and talked to, you know, 30, 40 dancers about what it's like to be strippers and knew how hard that was and how uncomfortable those shoes are. And yet I'm walking by Payless, which I don't think exists anymore and seeing <laughs> rows and rows of stripper shoes. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, people who women who aren't strippers don't need to be wearing stripper shoes. Like, why is that a good thing when they hurt your feet and they, you can't run or walk? I mean, it's just didn't make any sense to me. So, and strippers are actually treated like crap. Even today, like they're not treated well. It is not a job with high occupational prestige. And so why would the culture be telling girls and women to be like sex workers when they actually, you know, discriminate against and degrade actual strippers? Like that's just such a messed up formula. And it really pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, this is not okay. Like this is Orwellian. There's some like major doublespeak going on here to tell women that you should be doing free sex work for men and calling it empowering. Like what the heck? Like that needs to be talked about. Like that is suffering from what I call in the book, a condition of inarticulation. Like we do not have the words to talk about it. Therefore, we don't know how to talk about it. And then the words that patriarchy gives people to talk about are things like, oh, what are you doing? Are you just trying to slut shame her? It's like, there's no way to talk about it. So I wrote this book in a froth of passion about providing language to critique, to perceive and critique this phenomenon. Yeah, I think that is the perfect way to describe it because i could not articulate a lot of this before reading this book honestly there's this fine line balance of what is sexual freedom and what becomes raunch culture and you know how much influence do we allow one to have over the other um and i think you do a you do a great job at balancing those two throughout the book uh but i still it's like where do you draw the line and so where I guess speaking to you that studied this, where would you draw the line on where's the tipping point here? What becomes raunch culture? Well, the reason why it's hard to draw the line is because it's always moving. Mm-hmm. The line is always changing. So, uh, it, and it, on an individual level, it's going to change based upon how the, the a person feels in the moment. So there's this incredible documentary on Netflix called Liberated, which really goes in depth into spring break culture. And in it, there are two women, and you can imagine what spring break culture is like, like super, super raunchy. I mean, it's, it's so bad. My students were like, why didn't you assign a trigger warning with this? I can't even watch this. I mean, it was like, yeah. it's like, it's intense. But anyway, there's a scene where these two women are in this bikini contest and they go up on the stage and there's hundreds of people in the audience, young people like, totally drunk screaming and yelling at them and they they weren't supposed to be topless but all of a sudden the MC says oh now you should take your top off and the audience goes crazy hooting and hollering and yelling at them and one of the girls is like 
no, I didn't sign up to take my top off. And then they start booing her. And you can tell it's this moment where she loses control of the narrative. And that's the problem with ranch culture is you don't control the narrative. Patriarchy controls the narrative. You just have the illusion of control as long as you're conforming to what other people want of you. So again, that line is always moving. In Owensboro, we had an issue where the library wanted to remove... The movie was based on the fact that these younger kids were doing drag, uh, but it was in a bar, and it was incredibly sexualized, um, where these kids were doing these almost sexual dances and, and things like that. I mean, we see that a lot with TikTok today um, and these social media that, that allow this into these younger mm-hmm. kids' lives. And... It becomes a hard fight for someone, in my opinion, like that's LGBTQ, because obviously we want children to have their own uh, freedom and freedom of expression. But I also want to stand up and go, that's a little too much. Um, So what would your advice be for LGBTQ people that don't necessarily want the, the to for it to become hypersexualized all the time? Wow. I mean, and it's it's really interesting because intersectionally, LGBT people are coming from a different place than heterosexuals. Because for us, um, especially for gay men, sexual liberation is perceived of as it was freedom. Mm-hmm. So there's there there's a very there's a queer impulse towards perceiving raunch as liberation, and if when you come from a gay male perspective. Um, and people have a hard time not seeing from their own perspective. Yeah. So it can be hard for some gay men to put themselves into the position of a cis hetero woman who experiences that as harassment or can experience that as harassment, as compulsory, as, you know, who's always being hit on by men. Whereas a gay man's like, oh, I want to be hit on by men. Like it's like right. a different <laughs> place to come from. Um, so there's there needs to be understanding and and an attempt to put yourself in somebody else's shoes um to start with i i'm not a big fan of censoring um anything i think that when when you do that it just draws a lot of attention to it in a way that might inflame the phenomenon i guess what i would um suggest is having conversations having having um workshops having forums to talk about the different issues so that people can make up their own mind if you i think that that it's my job as an educator to give people new pieces of information and allow them help them put the pieces together but allow them the space to figure it out for themselves because we want people who can think not people who just do what they're told in this blind conforming way Um, and then when people choose something they're, they're much more in integrity when they act on it moving forward. Then they can make decisions about it, not just about this one film or this one story. They can make decisions for the rest of their life about what they think this means. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, you brought up the fact that uh, gay men often have a different viewpoint when it comes to, you know, what is raunch culture? Uh, because mm-hmm. for gay men, a lot of times it is seen as sexual freedom. Uh, it was things that they weren't allowed to do or things that, you know, that they want to express. Uh, I, I love the section about dick pics uh, because it, it honestly, <laughs> it was, it was eye opening to me because I was like, I could, I could understand from the female viewpoint of why that it's incredibly offensive uh, in heterosexual world to get dick pics. But from, from the gay man's perspective, it's like the book says, you know, 
3000 plus a year, you know, like it's not unusual. <laughs> like it's just, and it, it maybe gay men had become desensitized at a, at a young age, um, to that. And it's become that arousal aspect. Um, I guess one of the things that I kind of struggled with is how as a, as a gay man who does see those kind of things as certain aspects of sexual freedom for my culture, um, how do I advocate, <laughs> I guess, for females who would be opposed to that without also having to limit myself? Uh, do you see kind of that catch-22 of if I, for instance, if I advocate against sending dick pics, <laughs> I know this is going to be a fun conversation. Everybody get ready. <laughs> if I advocate against sending dick pics, then I feel like gay men in my culture is in a way being told we can't do something. Um, so how do you balance the two different viewpoints when it comes to gay men versus, you know, heterosexual women and in that conversation? Well, I think there's one easy solution, which is that, um, gay men like dick pics a lot more than women do. Men, I mean, that's just every study across the board seems to say like women, heterosexual women don't want to look at dicks. It's like, it's interesting. Nobody, so women, but men really like looking at, even straight men like looking at them. It's like dick pics are really for men is how I conclude right. that chapter. <laughs> um, but an easy solution is just uh, nobody really wants an unsolicited dick pic, even yeah. gay men. So, um, and certainly, so the, the issue is if a gay man gets an unsolicited dick pic, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he perceives that necessarily as threatening. I think you're correct on that. I think, and, and too, it's a, it's a desensitization thing. It's like, you know, you get, it's scrolling through Instagram almost anymore for us in, when it comes to social apps and different things with, you know, the unsolicitation uh, of those. Um, but I also, you know, I, I love the fact that you brought in the, the, that for us it is sexual arousal versus, you know, the female perspective, uh, you know, rape culture is very influential. Um, and that is, it is seen as a threat. So I, I love that, that dichotomy, I guess there. <laughs> uh, one thing I know that you talked about in the book was uh, the increase of physical and verbal aggression in porn. Um, mm -hmm. I think you said out of the study, there was uh, 304 scenes, 88% of those were physical aggression and 48% verbal abuse. Um, can you elaborate more on, on that study? Oh, wow. Okay. So this is getting into some pretty grim stuff. Um, so that study was, I think, published in 2008. So those, those findings, this was a content analysis that was done of the top porn films at the time or the, of the top, um, the top ones on like Pornhub or something. And they picked like every third one and they counted the scenes and they did a content analysis. Um, and there was just this in incredible amount of physical and verbal violence against women in these heterosexual porn scenes. And that has continued. Um, I had my, I've had my students, um, we, we, I teach a class in the sex industry and we look at this and um, they made a porn compilation, one group, one year, uh, where they they they, try, they replicated the study and it it's super disturbing, uh, and then five years later the students did it again and the most recent porn compilation was slightly less violent but it was full of things like incest. Um, so what's happening? I know. So what's happening with porn and I write about the in this chapter is that 
it um oh there's so many problems with internet porn okay so like <laughs> yes <laughs> there's just so many problems it the, the, the internet porn the the porn that's where that's why culture has become pornified it's it's the 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 pornification of the culture has emerged from the um, new technologies of viewing pornography. And that the mid-90s is when we started using the internet for, you know, everything. Um, and then that's when internet porn started. But, it, you know, so, um, okay. So the content has, so it's not that the porn has ever been all that great for women, but that after we hit, you know, after the culture started pornifying, actual pornography began seeking a, a, a bigger edge to keep viewers' attention, and that edge is violence. So there's a really disturbing scene in a documentary called The Price of Pleasure about the changes in pornography, where a pornographer himself says the future of porn is violence. And this really matter-of-fact way at the Adult Video Network big show in Las Vegas. Um, so... This is problematic because it's problematic. That's is that what we want to have? That, that that is that mainstream? Like what? It's it's shown as mainstream, and that's not that's not mainstream for people's actual sex lives. We also live in a culture where there's terrible public sex education, and kids also have access to porn, so they're looking at pornography online for their sex ed questions, and of course, someone will look at it, and they're finding this really creepy, violent stuff, and it's like this is not what sex is. This is not the healthiest sex. And, but these kids are, that's what they use for sex ed and that's what they think it is until they learn otherwise. And, and I'm not saying that kink doesn't exist and I think kink is great, you know, but it's good to find kink from your own internal desire, not to see some super kinky thing or some creepy violent thing and think, oh, that's how sex is. So I should do that. Mm -hmm. um, so... So anyway, those are just a few of the problems. Yeah. <laughs> I can go into detail about some of the weird acts that are happening in porn, but I'm not sure that's what your viewers really want right. to hear. I thought it was interesting, uh, the section where you talked about uh, the child that's the Justin Bieber, um, where mm -hmm. and, and how the internet kind of progresses children down this path to where it's like it gets worse and worse. Like there becomes more and more... Uh, with the, the YouTube suggestions and stuff. Um, do you want to comment on the, the Justin Bieber? Oh, sure. This was um, an interview with a mom who, um, it was like a 40-year-old, who was talking about her daughter and remembering when her daughter was about seven and they had given her um, one of those, those pads and they hadn't put on any controls yet. And so she had clicked on a Justin Bieber video and I think she was about seven or eight. And then the, the YouTube next to it stair-stepped her from Justin Bieber to Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. And then to the two of them kissing and then to like a really hardcore porn video. And then, um, the, the woman I interviewed, she found like seven versions of this porn video, you know, downloaded onto this little Amazon fire um, so that was alarming. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, later on you talked about, uh, teens that were receiving, you know, inappropriate pictures from one another. And I really think this is a topic I, I want you to address because I think it's so important for parents. I think it's so important for our listeners uh, who a lot of them are teens, um, in which that they don't tell their parents that they're seeing these things or that they're receiving these sex messages or, 
uh, various things because they think that they're going to be the one in trouble. Can you comment on that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this was incredibly disturbing. So uh, most of the young women that I interviewed had received unsolicited dick pics and masturbation videos from uh, their male classmates. And um, one of them, one of them talked about getting a dick pic every morning uh, from this boy in her math class. Um, and when I asked why they didn't talk to their parents about it and say they 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 were just like, well, one woman said she just felt like if she talked to her mom about it, her mom would would be the first one to say, you know, you only need to do what's comfortable for you, and you should save it for when you're ready. And I'm like wait, we're not talking about consensual sex. This is harassment. Like you're imagining your mom having a sex ed conversation with you about sexual harassment. (laughs) Uh, And this girl was being harassed by a boy who was on her debate team. So she was really worked really closely with him. Then another uh, person, a non-binary person that I interviewed, they, um, they did not want to tell their grandparents because they felt like their grandparents would say, what did you do to make him do this to you? It's your fault. I'm going to take yeah. your phone away. Yeah. And I think older people just don't understand that that this is possible and that boys are doing this. Right. I, I definitely agree. I, I've seen that happen in our community. And I've talked to some teens that, that had that similar experience that would not come forth and talk to their parents because they were afraid that their phone would get taken away as if it was their fault uh, that they were receiving this harassment. Um, so I've, I just wanted to say for our listeners, like this is this is harassment. It's not consensual sexual uh, a talk that you should be having with your parents. This is harassment. It, it goes above and beyond that and should be addressed a lot of times very quickly so that it doesn't progress into something worse. Um, the next topic I wanted to get in uh, to discuss with you is about online disinhibition effect. Um, where people say and do things in cyberspace that they wouldn't ordinarily say and do in the face-to-face world. Well, uh, so the asynchronous quality of online interactions. So, uh, well, I guess we are online, but we 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 have a semi-face-to-face experience yeah. here. So, if I say something, you respond to it right away because we're having a conversation. A lot of stuff that happens online is asynchronous, so there's a delayed response. So that encourages people to feel like it's not as real. Um, And the fact that people can be anonymous online makes them more inclined to be uninhibited. Um, So there's a couple of dimensions for how the inhibition happens. There's the sexual inhibition. So where I talk about um, a platform called Chat Roulette, which I think is wildly out of date now, but I know there's another one where you get on there and it seems like all you see are men with their dicks out. Um, my students actually wrote about it where they, they, they were on some sort of a similar place. Do you know, is there another one like that now uh, that you're, I would assume today the equivalent, would, but it's more of like a pay thing. Like they do only fans. A lot of people do only fans mm. nowadays. Um, that's a sex work thing. Yeah. This is like you, the chat roulette was, you could just press a button and the, you would pop up a camera, any, anyone in the world. It, it would be like spinning a lot, like a spinning the roulette and you pop somebody mm-hmm. up in Portugal or Peru and, Anyway, and half of them were men with their dicks out. Yeah. Okay, so there's that kind of disinhibition. Um, But the other type of disinhibition that I write about is the way that people will write terribly, terribly hateful, abusive things online. Just these incredible vulgarities, things that you you wouldn't say to a person face-to-face. And 
we don't want to say them face to face because they're so disgusting. So then it, we kind of all uh, maintain this culture of silence about just how bad it is. And then it, we get numb to it. I mean, it's not okay. Can I say one of them, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Like Jessica Valenti, who's a famous feminist, you know, on Twitter, finally got off of Twitter because of, you know, somebody threatening to rape her five-year-old girl. It's like yeah. that, like, that is so not, that's not civil discourse. So the incivility is so intense online and we've just acclimated to it. I think it just really has a poisonous effect in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I definitely can see that in everything. Even uh, I just got out of a YouTube competition show, and as soon as these things were published, I mean, the the contestants were just either trashed or praised. You know, so like it, it's it's incredible to see what people will say behind you know behind the computer screen. Um, I, I kind of wanted to relate that uh, topic to the act of watching porn itself. Uh, because that's something, you know, obviously we, we see all this increase in, you know, the physical aggression and things online in our porn. And I think a lot of people would not necessarily do that in person or watch that or talk about that as much. Because uh, like my anxiety is through the roof right now just talking about this with you. <laughs> so, like, so like doing that is that not a form of, uh, of that online disinhibition? It allows people to watch and do things that they wouldn't normally do. Oh, good example. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So of course there's a, there's a private quality to porn viewing. And then if you're watching these incredibly violent and creepy acts and you're, you know, having an orgasm to it, that's, and you're not fully in alignment with it, which I hope a lot of people are not fully in alignment with that. So that's going to cause some mixed energy. And then that's not something you're going to want to talk about. And and you're, you're going to think, well, I, I imagine psychologically there would be a couple of ways to justify it. Either either you like deep, go dig into shame and think there's something wrong with me, or you could dig into, you know, women are sluts and they deserve it. You could do, I'm not sure there's more paths, but those are two paths to take to kind of reconcile why I'm masturbating this incredibly violent stuff. But another way to frame it is that the porn is set up to walk you into more and more extreme acts to keep your attention. I mean, even walks people, men, into acts that are outside of their orientation at times. So you can turn it off and walk away. Like that is, I mean, of course, some men struggle with addiction issues and then there's a lot of men that are struggling with erectile issues because of it and struggling to get an erection with a with a real person because of it so there's all kinds of stuff but you can i mean this is something that can be worked through sitting in either shame or misogyny or homophobia is not the place to stay you don't have to stay there you you, you are not stuck there yeah i love that you brought out in 2018 uh that Pornhub received more votes uh, than the 2016 u.s presidential election I think that that goes to show how many how much people watch this, um, and I kind of want to tie this in to the Bible Belt is actually ranked as like the the number one place for people to watch porn. Mm-hmm. What connection do you see there? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, that's the connection of sexual repression. I mean, that's why you're always seeing evangelical preachers in these sex scandals. Mm -hmm. So when you repress some your sexual desires, you you end up acting out in all kinds of ways, some of which are very problematic. Mm -hmm. That's the short answer. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you go into that a lot more uh, in terms of what we saw with the presidential election with Donald Trump uh, and not mm-hmm. to bring back that horrible memory. But mm-hmm. <laughs> can you go into <laughs> how raunch culture progressed in his presidency? Yes, sure. I actually have a whole chapter on raunch culture. And um, I make the argument that the pornification of culture helped elect Trump because mm-hmm. You know, the pornification predates Trump, and Trump has certainly been a, you know, advocate of pornification for decades. I mean, I think he was on the Howard Stern show some 27 times. Um, But what pornification does is acclimate everyone to seeing women as sex objects and perceiving, you know, women as like being sexy as the most important thing. And pornification accompanied by um, the academic word is ebile, this like very vicious, um, violent language used, you know, that that helps us, that also desensitizes us to the kind of incivility that Trump would say. So, you know, calling someone, you know, a skanky hole, no one would want to fuck or raping a five-year-old, that's really violent. Next to that, grabbing a woman by the pussy is not as extreme. Or complimenting the Irish prime minister's wife on how hot she is and how fit she is, you know, while they're meeting in the Oval Office, that's just business as usual. I thought there was one particular uh, section which you talked about uh, all the hashtags uh, from women uh, that were supporters of Trump. Uh, can you go into that? Because I know that's oh. really prevalent in our our area. <laughs> so. hmm. Well, of course, there's a lot of, of women who support Trump. And um, there was a hashtag called Babes for Trump. Um, and this was a bunch of social media posts that would um, position like very conventionally attractive conservative women wearing MAGA hats in bikinis and thongs next to like an ugly liberal women, woman, like, I don't know, just some terrible picture of Lena Dunham or something. And talk about how, you know, you're, you're, you're hot (laughs) if you are for Trump. Yeah. And I definitely think that the culture has grown tremendously since his election. Uh, What do you think that is telling about the fact that he was not reelected? Do you see that as any advancement towards going away from raunch culture? Or do you think that it was just something entirely oh. different? Well, I'm just so glad he wasn't reelected right. and I hope <laughs> he never serves again. Not that he did much serving, but right. um, um, I think raunch culture has a momentum of his own and I'm, I'm not really sure how it's going to end. I think he, he's riding the wave of raunch culture. Um uh, and but I don't think him not being in the presidency uh, has ended the momentum. I do think that the Me Too movement, though, that that partially ignited as a response to just the extreme um, harassment that happens across, you know, media moguls, um, 
has impacted, you know, the culture some. And I wouldn't say that it's stopped orange culture, but I think that is a positive direction. Yeah. When we were talking about the e-bile stuff, when we were talking about the disinhibition um, and the trolls, I, I just read this really kind of hopeful study recently about trolls. It's not that more people are trolls. It's that the trolls that exist have a wider reach. So let's so five five percent of people are trolls. It's not that now twenty five percent of people are trolls. It's just that that five percent before they could only reach their community. Now they can reach everywhere. So it seems like there are so many more of them than there probably are. And then of course there's a gazillion Russian bots. But I just thought that was hopeful that that people aren't as awful as we think. It's just that the trolls are able to attack more places. Yeah, uh, the bots that get on there and just. I, was was it this book that uh, talked about how um, Twitter, they started a Twitter account and within, yeah, so like that was an amazing subject, like how the bots made it basically uh, support Hitler and, and various things all within mm-hmm. a matter of like six hours or something. It was incredible um, to see that. I, such an important topic with Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter right now and all the things he's saying as well, so... Mm-hmm. Um, we got into a little bit of a conversation. Um, obviously, we talked a little bit about OnlyFans being sex work. Um, how do you differentiate raunch culture while also allowing certain types of sex work and, and being uh, supportive of those creators? Mm. Good question. Um, and I am very supportive of sex workers. Um, so sex work is paid. Uh, and sex work is highly stigmatized. Um, sex work is a job. <laughs> so it's an occupation. Yeah. Um, it's a stigmatized occupation that has a lot of drawbacks to it um, with, with you know, sometimes hopefully a pretty high income associated with it relative to, say, working a service sector job. So sex work is a job. Um, sometimes it's an illegal job. Ranch culture is the uh, water that we swim in as Westerners. It's the uh, messaging that tells us that the most important thing is to look sexy and hot um, like a sex worker, but not to actually do sex work because then you're, you know, a dirty slut. So um, ranch culture is a culture of conformity and performance that actually doesn't do anything to really support sex workers. Um, the changes, the the progress that's been made have been hard fought on the case of sex workers themselves getting their voices out there in the culture. And uh, social media has been a good place for that to happen, for there to be more conversations about what it means to be a sex worker. But Ron's culture is just so performative. Uh, it's a way that patriarchy has reinvented itself. And I call it a big con. Um, teaching, telling women to basically give men free sex work. And I mean, if you're going to wear stripper shoes, you could get paid for that. Yeah, and I, I think that's something uh, that we really see on OnlyFans, uh, even in the, in the gay world, is people want you to do more and more and more for less money. Uh, so there's actually like whole entire online sites that rate, you know, who's got a good site that's worthy of payment. And I mean, these people are mm-hmm. working every day, and, and honestly, going further into more of the raunch culture and having to do more and more of those things to keep mm-hmm. their followers and keep them active and paying those that, that amount of money, 
Um, so I think, I mean, even there, I think it's influencing your sex workers in the extent that they've got to do more and more for less and less money. Um, and I think one of the big things I'm noticing with the younger generation is I am knowing less and less people in their 20s that don't have an OnlyFans. So it's almost becoming like an Instagram account, but everyone has their own little, in all honesty, their own little porn site to where people can pay and, and watch them and get pictures and get videos. Um, and on OnlyFans has become this huge growth in the past few years, especially in our area, uh, which typically has poor um, college-age kids. Um, how do you think it's impacted? I think you make an incredibly important connection there with the ways that raunch culture is is pushing sex workers to have to do more and more work for less money. So thank you for bringing that up. And I would say the same thing has happened in strip clubs too. So in the strip clubs that allow women in them, which that's a whole other story, like strip clubs saying you, if you're a woman, you can't come in unless you have a male escort. But the ones that let women in, sometimes the, the, there'll be young women who go in and who are customers and give the men they're with free lap dances and that, or take up their own shirts in the club. And that is just, um, problematic for a lot of reasons, but especially hard on the women that are trying to make money there. So that's a, a, a really excellent observation, Curtis. Um, I would be curious, you know, in terms of OnlyFans, I did say that it's sex work, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that every, would you say that everyone on OnlyFans is doing sex work? I'm, I'm trying to like, that's a pretty big, would, would we say, say that or not? At least in gay culture, I'm not sure about heterosexual culture, but in gay culture, I would say most, it starts out as, um, here's like a nude pic of the backside of me, but then over probably within a year, 90% of them have gone full on shooting videos, et cetera. Um, and I think that's happening vastly to our younger generation. 20 year olds are all on OnlyFans now, um, which I mean, it feeds into the patriarchy system of, you know, people with money can pay and get whatever they want, um, is, is what I'm seeing. Yeah, and that also intersects with capitalism and the gig economy and how hard it is right now to be a young person and make a living. And and then, of course, raunch culture tells you you, might, you, you should be naked, so why not profit off of it? I definitely agree. Um, <laughs> this has been such a, an awesome conversation in regards to this book. Um, for those of you that have not checked it out, it's The Pornification of America, uh, How Raunch Culture is Ruining um, Our Society. Um, I'd highly recommend you go get it. I binged it in like three days, so it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and Thank you so much. That, yeah. Uh, with that, I also want to say uh, we would like to have Bernadette back later on uh, in a couple months or so. We want to give you all a time to go out and get this book um, called Pray the Gay Away um, and submit your questions online. Um, so that we can ask her questions more in regards to our specific niche, which is uh, rural LGBTQ folk and their stories. Um, so that's a little bit about all. Uh, do you want to quickly mention your other two books? I know they, they're more on the exotic dancers, if you want to. They're both about exotic dancers. So they're, they're a study of exotic dancers, what, it like, what it's like to be a dancer, what's good, what's bad, um, how it's changed. Uh, so it's the first book is called Stripped, Inside the Lives of Exotic Dancers. And then I did a complete revision, and that book is called Stripped, More Stories from Exotic Dancers. Yeah. And all of them are available on Amazon, correct? That's and right. Books? Okay. 
All right. Um, now I want to switch focus. Um, we've talked a lot about the books, and I really wanted to hammer in on that. I thought that was such an important conversation for teens as well as parents of teens um, and and how it all intersects with the LGBTQ culture. I mean, this is something, uh, it's very difficult conversation to talk about uh, sexuality uh, and how how far is too far when it comes to raunch culture. Um, so thank you for that discussion. Um, I do want to do our other two segments uh, before closing out. Um, we do a segment called The Heap of Trouble, um, which is basically a fun story. Um, can be anything that, that you've got from your experience uh, in gay culture. Um, okay, well, I have a couple of stories. but um, So one story is... The house that I lived in, so I, I, I don't know how much you've touched on the, the phenomenon of lesbian ex-lovers on this show, but Not women <laughs> tend, tend to keep in touch with their exes and have quite intertwined relationships with exes who are then friends with other friends and, you know, a lesbian community in a rural area or even in a city like Lexington can be very immersed. Uh, so when I first got, when I first came out, I got together with a woman and I'll, I'll call her Alice. Uh, and she was, uh, living in a house and that was a house where she had gone through a terrible breakup with her ex. And she was living there with another woman that she had dated. Um, but they weren't together then. And meanwhile, she's seeing me and my friend at the same time, <laughs> finally gets together with me. This very lots and lots of lesbian drama. <laughs> Anyway, the long story short is that um, she bought a house so that I would have a house to live in with her. Uh, we ended up breaking up. Um, and that house ended up, it just basically kept hosting lesbian couples who had been connected and then broken up over and over and over again, <laughs> including I moved into that house with Anna, my wife now. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's just a very funny story called The House on Transcript Ave. I, I wrote a publication about it. Wow. How, how we stay connected to each other and how, um, how our relationships form and, and disappear. That so, wasn't so probably wait, the most wait, satisfying wait, wait, wait. story, but <laughs> so this this is your wife now, Anna, correct? And this mm -hmm. house had like a long history of people moving in and breaking up. And well, people moving in and and well, yeah, that did happen. Thank God we didn't break up. And you but allowed yeah, yourself to move into this house. <laughs> No, the house stank of cat piss too. It was like there's a lot wrong with this house, but we liked it. We were like looking. Oh yeah, we do not. Yeah. We do not get enough lesbian drama on this show. We get a we get a lot of gay drama, but not enough lesbian drama. So I love it. So. Mm -hmm. Well, here's another quickie story. That's probably a better story for this. Just real fast. When I was first getting together with Anna, we we had the, we definitely had the U-Haul where we're like practically our second date. We moved in together, but. I knew she was the one when she was at a party that I threw and it was kind of a random party where you have lots of people like somebody invited somebody from a bar that I didn't know at all that ended up at your house. You know when that happens? Oh, yeah. And I'm getting a phone call. So this is when you have a landline. This is before cell phones. I'm getting a phone call from a stranger at my house yelling at me that I'm trying to pick up her girlfriend and she's going to come down and beat me up. And it was just this like like weirdly violent thing about a person I didn't know. And was obviously it was just like, what the heck is going on? And she kept calling me back. And I was like a little bit freaked out because I didn't know how to deal with this bully on the phone and I remember stomping outside saying somebody deal with this and Anna grabbed the phone and she's like yeah come on down then <laughs> and got rid of her like that 
I was like, okay, that was good. <laughs> there you go. So Anna's clearly uh, defensive for, for you. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, she knows how to take care of business. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Yeah. Uh, one other story I do want to hear from you, because uh, I just now recalled it. Uh, your first time seeing pornography, I thought was an awesome story in the book. Uh, and can you go into that when you were out in California? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it sounds so bizarre now to a generation of people that grew up with internet porn, but I was pretty sheltered as a young person. And then I even went to college and it was not a place where you would see pornography. Anyway, it's the summer after my my freshman year of college and I was living in California in the California suburbs. Just weirdly briefly, my mom and stepfather had moved there for one summer before my mother left him. So I was like totally out of time and space in this place, working in a record store. Um, But anyway, my favorite thing to do was to go out into the California hills and walk this hiking trail, which was just beautiful. I walked by myself. I didn't even think about my safety. I was so... Um, trusting. Anyway, I'm one. I'm just like capering along the path and dancing, listening to the birds and eating these apples. And I saw something flapping on a rock in the river, and I was like, "What is that?" So I walked down to look at it, and it was on one of those big flat rocks. And it was a magazine, and it was really a hardcore magazine. Like it wasn't like a Playboy magazine with just you know airbrushed breasts. This was like penetration, hardcore, nothing I had ever seen before. And I was, and it was like grimy. It wasn't even, an, it was like not a nice looking magazine. And it just completely freaked me out. I'm like, here I am all alone. Who had this magazine? Is he still here? Am I in danger? I mean, it was like just yeah. disorienting. And I left right away because I felt scared. Like who was looking, who was masturbating with this hardcore porn magazine in the middle of this hiking trail? And there was no one around either. Um, so, and honestly, that was the last time I ever hiked because I felt like it wasn't safe to hike alone. And before that, I hadn't even thought about, I should worry about being safe. I was just kind of a kid enjoying being alive in the woods. Yeah. I just, the only reason I was laughing there is, so it wasn't porn, but, uh, the thing that that reminded me of, my grandfather was a Baptist missionary preacher, uh, but he had a sense of humor. Uh, and so he got me really hooked on Ray Stevens. I don't know if, if you're familiar with Ray Stevens, but he does like these comical musical things. But he does, one of the, his songs is It's Me Again, Margaret. And it's about this guy that goes into a telephone booth and is like calling this woman every night and stuff like that. And it's a really humorous type of thing. But I was just, when I read that, I was like, honestly, that was one of the first times that like sexuality was even brought up in my life was through this song that my Baptist missionary grandfather let me listen to. <laughs> so I always allow our guests to give some advice directly to LGBTQ college age kids um, and kind of, you know, what was your advice to them in terms of growing up and things that they could do for, you know, survival and, and pointers along the way? Well, I talk to a lot of college kids. <laughs> so, and I care a lot about young people and young people thriving on our planet, given how many crises we're currently facing as U.S. citizens, we're facing, you know, you know, possibly the collapse of democracy. We certainly are facing climate change. We're seeing a rollback of uh, reproductive rights for women. 
We could possibly lose marriage equality. We could even see the sodomy laws overturned. I'm sorry to go down this dire path. We could even see interracial marriage, you know, overruled. So it is a really scary time. And I, I feel for young people. And I, that's why I wrote The Pornification of America. I just feel like adults are failing young people. And it's my duty to do what I can to help it better, make it better. But I obviously can't make it better. So I, I can only do what I can do. So what I say to you is find your voice and use it. Don't don't sit back. I mean, that if anything, the Trump years taught me, it's like there is no value to not speaking out. You need to speak out. You need to run for office. If you when you are on a position, of, you know, get into a position of power and say what you think, because blowhards will dominate the conversation with their terrible ideas. And you can't just sit there and let it happen. You have to speak out. You have to practice using your voice and you have to do it now because we are running out of time. Yeah, I think that's the perfect advice here on uh, primary election day. Um, I know I went and voted. I've got my voted sticker on. Uh, I'm obviously supporting my, you know, I think women belong in every everywhere mm -hmm. in politics. I mostly voted for women today. So uh, definitely get out, make your voice heard. Uh, that's such an important thing for our youth to do, especially college age, which typically does not go vote, especially in primary elections. Um, so definitely mm -hmm. go and do that. All right. Well, we uh, we have our final segment. Uh, it's the pot of gold. Um, it's it's a chance to turn the table and you ask me one final question of anything under the sun and then I ask one final question to you to close out the show. Well, my question to you is what do you like best about being, um, do you identify as being a gay man? Mm -hmm. What do you like best about being gay? What do you appreciate about being gay? I think the number one thing that I have appreciated about being gay is, and it was one of the, when I, so fun story, uh, the first time I ever took my mom to a gay bar, uh, she commented on the fact that there were no age barriers. Everyone talked to everyone. There was no, uh, you know, there are tiny clicks, but in terms of overall, they all know each other regardless of age. Um, and you have 20-year-olds talking to 70-year-olds, and not in a sexual way, but just as friends. Um, and I think that's something we see so much more in gay world than, than heterosexual world sees in terms of we are all there for each other regardless of what age we are. We are all friends. We all reach out. We all talk to each other about all kinds of things. Um, you know, I work in elder law now, and so I see kind of a lot of the, the other side where You've got families that, that don't necessarily go see their loved ones all the time, or uh, and you've got, I, I see nursing homes all the time, and, and there's not this demographic of uh, younger people going in and, and talking to older people. Uh, I don't think we have that in gay world. So I think that's honestly my favorite mm -hmm. thing, is getting to know so many different people, kind of like getting to know different cultures, but getting to know mm -hmm. different generations. And all of our experiences, kind of like we've done today in terms of seeing the progression of raunch culture. Uh, you know, if we had an 18-year-old uh, sitting here with us, they would have a totally different story. Um, so that, to me, is my favorite thing about being a gay man, for sure. Thank you. Uh, my question to you, my final wrap-up question, uh, since we've already gotten so personal. Uh, <laughs> you teach kids... Uh, all about sex and gender, um, and you've obviously had even uh, students that put together, you know, uh, porn 
things for you to help study this topic. What has been the most uncomfortable you have ever been uh, in the classroom setting discussing these things? Mm. Well, the most uncomfortable I've ever been was watching the porn compilation with the students. Um, so, and, 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 and uh, yeah, that's really awful. It's incredibly awkward. And uh, what my wife's always worried. Did I'm, that get? In term, what kind of feedback did that get from the community? Like if the community knew that you were watching <laughs> porn in a classroom setting, how have you dealt with that at all? Well, fortunately, it hasn't, although Anna's just sure I'm going to get fired because of it one of these days. Um, <laughs> but I, I I, do a lot of work ahead of time with the students. I, we, we, I do a lot of prepping. I explain we're going to be watching something that's very graphic. It's very violent. It was created by the students. Other classes have seen it before. It's um, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. You're free to walk out. Nobody has to even start watching it. You know, you get to do what you want. And, um, oh, they did something really interesting a few years ago. They started looking at their phones instead of leaving the classroom. And I thought that was a good way to break it up. Um, but it's incredibly awkward. They're awkward. It's long. It's violent. It's uncomfortable. Um, and then we talk about it. So we deconstruct it afterwards. So we spend a lot of time. I have them write about it. How did you feel? What did you take away? What do you think? And then we talk about what we observed and what it meant to us. And, and um it's, it's intense. It's really intense. And I just say, if I'm in front of the General Assembly defending it, I can, because I actually come from a fairly conservative perspective with it, which is like, this stuff is violent. We need to talk about it. Here it is. They're learning. So. Well, I appreciate that answer. You are a stronger person than I, because there's <laughs> no way that I could ever talk about this stuff publicly on a wide scale like you do. Um, maybe it's all my religious trauma coming in and that I can't I can't talk about these things. You know, uh, Leah always makes fun of me because I, I, I don't even use words like uh, dick or, you know, stuff on the show. I'll always change them to be like a kid version of things. So. <laughs> I admire what you do. Um, for everybody out there, I'm going to say these books one last time. Uh, we've talked all about the pornification of America. Um, go check it out. It's an incredible book on just how far raunch culture has come over these past decades. Um, you're going to love it. I did. Uh, big thumbs up on this one. Uh, next up is Pray the Gay Away. Uh, this is one that we originally contacted Bernadette to speak about. Um, and that's because it does a lot of the things that we are doing now on this podcast. Uh, it is telling the stories of LGBTQ people uh, from all across Kentucky uh, and, and the Bible Belt region. So get this book and submit questions. Uh, we hope to have Bernadette back in a few months to discuss this one specifically uh, that I think is going to bring a lot to light. Uh, so thank you so much for being on our show, Bernadette. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to come on back now. I know we all love a little vibration, so if you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. And we will surprise you on occasion with a new release vibration in your pocket. But in the meantime, if you find yourself alone or crossing new horizons along the rainbow trail and you need a friend or even a laugh, to get you through those dark and stormy nights. Holler on out to us at www.weatheringrainbows.com where you can find shelter in the blogs, videos, and other episodes that will hopefully keep you 
out of a whole heap of trouble. So until next time, y'all, giddy up, be true to yourself, and make the best of life. And wherever the wild tracks may lead you, may the rainbow always touch your shoulder.